a commitment. All three of them require a commitment. A parent committing themselves and their child to the Lord to raise that child in the ways of the Lord and for God's purpose and glory. A person is committing themselves to the Lord by outwardly confessing that they are following Jesus, believing and trusting their life to him by becoming water baptized. And a person is committing themselves to team up with other believers under an anointed and appointed ministry and to serve God together in that vision and calling for that church or local body of believers. Let's look at what the word commitment means. The act or an instance of committing, putting in charge, keeping, or trust. A promise or agreement to do something in the future. Being bound emotionally or intellectually to a course of action or to another person or persons. The trait of sincerity and a focused purpose. The state of being pledged or engaged. See, those are all the embodiment of the meaning of the word commitment. And that's what's going on today. Parents are dedicating their children to the Lord. They're making a commitment for to, to raise that child the right way. People that are getting water baptized. It, it, it's not just a religious formality, but it's a commitment. It's saying my life now belongs to Christ. I'm following him. Becoming a member of a church. It's a commitment. It's a commitment that I'm going to be on your team. I'm going to work together with you. I'm not going to cause strife, but I'm, going to be, I'm not going to be a problem. I'm going to be a solution. And I'm going to work together and help. And, and uh, when we all say one, two, three, pull, we're going to pull. And as we work together as a team, see, there's power in unity. We saw that in the, in the, in, in the Tower of Babel. The people got together for an evil cause under an evil leader of Nimrod, and they were trying to build a tower to go to heaven to say, God, you're never going to destroy us with a flood again. We're going to build a tower, and we're going to rise up to heaven. And, you know, legend has it Nimrod was going to go up to the top with a bow and arrow, and he was going to shoot God. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Dummy, that's it. There you go. Let's just say God would just take that arrow and go, right? right. Yep. Uh, hit him in the toe, and then he'd have to hit him in the foot, and then he'd have to walk all the way down with a limp. <laughs> and then in the last step, he'd trip and fall, and that'd be it. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> As we look here at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
So we see in here that God, the Father, is making a big commitment. See, in order for Jesus to say, all authority is given to me, he had to do something. He had to come down here and redeem us. He had to come down here and take some authority away from the enemy who was given to him by Adam. When Adam sinned, he gave his authority of dominion and and rulership of the planet. He gave that over to Satan. And legally, it belonged to the devil because of the will of Adam. And Jesus had to get it back. So for him to say, all authority is given to me, that was a big commitment. Do you know that when God was, God had his drawing table out and he was looking at, okay, I'm going to make this earth, I'm going to make man, he knew right then and there man was going to sin. And he looked at his son and he said, son, they're going to sin and this is what's going to happen and in order to redeem them and get them back, you're going to have to go down there and die on the cross. And the son said, Father, I'm willing to do that. I'm all in. I'm committed. And the Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world because they knew. So God's committed. God gave his son because he loved us. Then Jesus knew that he had to be that Lamb of God, and he, he, he just didn't come down here, you know, and just live his life any which way he wanted to. And then on, the, on that day, when he was 33 years old, okay, now it's time for me to go to the cross. He had to be the perfect Lamb without spot or blemish. You know, you make sometimes decisions in your life based on yourself. Am I going to... Am I going to speed because I don't want to get in a car crash? Am I going to eat certain foods because I want to be healthy? Am I going to want to have certain habits because I want to better myself? A lot of times that's how people think, right? But Jesus did this because he had to be perfect for us. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. He could not give in to one little sin at all. And he wasn't, doing, you know, he wasn't doing it for himself, he was doing it for us. Because he had to be the lamb without spot or blemish. None of this would have worked. No authority would have been given to him if he had even one little sin allowed into his life. That's how dedicated he was. And what motivated him? What what. What caused him to say no to the devil? What caused him to press? What caused him to to push? What caused him to endure? Well, what caused him is seeing each one of your faces sitting in here today, believing in him, learning about him, coming close to him. That's what motivated him. Because he knew that if he did this, he could redeem all of these people back to the Father. So he's all in. And then he says to us, oh, and then let's not forget the Holy Spirit. Now we've got the Holy Spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit, now your job is you're going to have to go and live in these people. They're going to be your dwelling place. They're going to grieve you. They're going to quench you. They're going to override you. 
They're going to rebel against you. They're going to take you into places you don't necessarily want to go, make you see things you don't want to see, make you feel things you don't want to feel. But they can't do it without you. you they're going to need you. Okay, I'll go in them. I'll live in them. I'll, I'll do the grunt work. I'll deal with them. I'll be patient. I'll be merciful. I'll be kind. I'll, I'll be long-suffering. I'll be gentle. I'll just continue to work with them. I'll continue to, even though it, it grieves me, even though sometimes they quench me, even though sometimes they irritate me, I'm going to commit myself to live in them and help them and be with them through their good and through their bad. So you can see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all in. You know, when Jesus said, except um, before a man builds a temple, he sits down, he counts the cost. You ever read that verse? You know, he was talking about himself. He said, I'm going to do this, but i got to count the cost. And he counted the cost, and he wouldn't expect us to count the cost if he didn't count the cost, and he counted the cost, and he knew what it was going to cost him. But he was willing to give it because he's all in. you got a God you got a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. They're all in. They're all in. And so he goes on here to say in Matthew 28, because he's all in and he's with us and he's there to help us, he's saying to us, now I want you guys to get all in. I want you to go out there, make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them some more. Giving them the Word of God. Keeping them filled with the Word of God. That's why we're doing this today. Because we want to make disciples. We want to help people to be strong. We want to help people to be committed. We want to help people to connect with God and walk with God. And all of us have a battle. All of us have a struggle. All of us have some things we got to go through. But we're here to help. We're here to encourage. We're here to uh, give you the word of God. You take that in. You receive that. You get strengthened. You get helped. And then you turn around and help somebody else out. You make a disciple. You say, Lord, who do you want me to disciple? Who do you want me to teach? Who do you want me to train? Who do you want me to reach out to, to take under my wing, to commit myself to, to, to minister to them? It should be the family first, but then there might be another co-worker. There might be a, a neighbor. There might be somebody that God's bringing into your life or a people that God's bringing into your life to make disciples, to train them. See, that's why the church... You know, when you think about why are we where we're at right now in our society and our culture, I'll tell you why. Because we haven't made enough disciples. We haven't discipled enough. You know, this, this, our Christianity today is so laid back, so, you know, watered down and diluted compared to what it was back then. You know, when Paul went to Ephesus... He baptized 12 men. 12. And he was there for the space of two years. That church grew so strong, so powerful, 
There were so many people getting saved that people, there was so much occult there that as people were getting saved, they were taking their occult belongings and they were having a big bonfire. And they were burning all this. And it became such a heavy influence of the gospel that the guys, the, the idol craftsmen who made the idols were getting nervous because they're losing so much business because people aren't buying idols, they're burning idols. That they caused, uh, they tried to get that to, to create some persecution against Paul. That's how much impact the church had because they were making disciples. The Lord wants us to make disciples. In Mark 16, 15, he said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow you who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. How many demons have you cast out? They will speak in new tongues. Are you praying in new tongues? They will take up serpents. Well, we're not going to pull out a box of snakes, so don't worry about that. <laughs> We're not the snake handling church. <laughs> but if you are out working in the yard and a snake does attack you, don't worry about it. You've got exemption right here. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. So you have power over the elements. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after that, the Lord had spoken to them. He was received up to heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. See, the Lord's working not only in you, but with you. So pray with people at your job. Talk to people about the Lord. Share things because the Lord, is, he's given you the authority. He took it from the devil he has it. He's given it to you. Now you go out. You share it. You reach out. You extend. Don't look to yourself because you won't do it because you can't do it. You don't have the power to do it in yourself. But there is power from God. And the Lord worked with them and accompanied them. So I just encourage you as believers, just look around. Start praying more for the people around you. And Lord, who can I talk to? Who can I share to? Who can I minister to? Who do you want me to disciple? But within here, he talks about baptism. And there's three important baptisms that pertain to our salvation. The first baptism we find in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13. Verse 13, it says, We're all baptized into one body, spiritually transformed, whether we're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, whether we're made to, we are all made to drink of that one Holy Spirit, and that's the new birth. So what happens is the Holy Spirit deals with people. As you talk, as you share, as you minister, the Holy Spirit is right there. And, and even though their face may look hard, may look cold, may look indifferent, the Holy Spirit is getting to their human spirit, and he is convicting them, and he is speaking to them, and he is drawing them. And when they come to that point where they're ready to repent, the Holy Spirit says, okay, he takes them and he baptizes them right into Jesus. And they become born again. They become one with God. That's the new birth. 
And then Peter went out and preached in Acts 2.37, and he preached the word, and the word pierced their heart. And the people responded, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. We can't have a gospel without repentance. Repentance is so important to cleaning and clearing out and the will, our authority. Again, it's our authority. If we don't repent, we're not using our authority to make a decision to turn. Repentance means to turn. If I'm walking towards Harry and I turn around and I walk back, I just repented. That's what it means, to turn. People say, well, I'm a Christian, but they're still doing everything that they did before they were a Christian. That wasn't a repentance. That was a drawing. That was the Holy Spirit working upon them. Maybe they were experiencing his presence and, and hearing him speak to their heart, but there wasn't a repentance. There has to be a repentance. Because when there's repentance, there's restoration. When there's repentance, there's forgiveness. When there's repentance, there's deliverance. See, it's all a part of that healthy uh, formula to restore the soul, to heal the soul, and to set the captive free. Because once a person repents, the Bible says that God takes them out of the power of darkness and puts them into the kingdom of light. Immediately. If you could hear in the spirit, you would hear. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> that woke a few people up. <laughs> but then he said, be water baptized. And that's so important. See, right now we have a tank up here. There's warm water in here. It's bath water. It's really nice. Thank you, Mike, for uh, setting all this up here. We've had cold bath baptism, and we had warm, and I think people enjoy the warm better than the cold. <laughs> but this is, this is water that came right out of the municipality. We didn't hook up a hose to heaven. It wasn't transferred down here from heaven. It's, it's holy because we blessed it, but it's not from heaven. It's just H2O. So the water in and of itself doesn't have the power to change or to save or to do anything to a person. So why do we do it? Peter says it's an answer of a good conscience towards God. It also talks about water baptism as a pitcher. The pitcher is this. Those that are getting water baptized, they're going to go into this tank. They're not going to put just a foot in or just a hand in. They're actually going to step into this tank. They're going to sit down in this tank. And then Austin's going to come around over here, and he's going to dunk them. He's not going to take a little water and pour it on their head. He's not going to splash them. They are going. <laughs> Can't do that. You're ordained now. <laughs> going to dunk them. They're going to go completely under the water. Now, he's not going to leave them there. Now, I've had one person ask me, can you, can you give me a baptism that I never sin again? And I said, yes, there is a baptism for that. 
It's called Twice Under, Once Up. <laughs> You'll never sin again. <laughs> we might start a new prison ministry, but... <laughs> You'll never sin again. <laughs> but the reason why God wants us to do this is to help all of us to see, especially those who are doing it, to see that your life is now being emerged into Christ. When you were born again, it already happened. But through the water baptism, you're getting a visual. You're, you're performing an action, and you're actually going into that water, and you're allowing that water to cover you over, symbolizing that your life has been buried in Christ. You died to your old self. That old man that was a part of your life is now being buried. But then you're being raised up. And in that raising up, you're giving a newness of life, as it talks about in Romans chapter 6. In Colossians, it talks about cutting off the old man. But we don't have any knives. I mean, we do have knives, but we're not going to use any of the knives today to cut off the flesh. But spiritually, the Holy Spirit, through his power, through his presence, through what's going on here... He is going to put, help you put off the flesh. You can see the whole thing about your walk with God is that when you were born again, you were made completely whole. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things become new. But you wake up in the morning and you go, where is that all things become new? <laughs> I feel grumpy, I feel tired, I feel ornery, whatever. You still got the flesh. But in your spirit, you're brand new. And the more that you allow your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions to be renewed to the fact that you are a new creature in Christ, the more that you take on that renewing process, then it's like Romans 12, 2, where it says that we are, not trans we are being transformed. We are not being conformed to this world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're going through a metamorphosis change, and the only reason why you can go through that metamorphosis change is because your nature has been changed on the inside. The only reason why a, a caterpillar can go into a cocoon and change into a butterfly is because it's built into the DNA of that insect. If you took a, a worm and you put it in a cocoon, a cocoon, Cancun, think of vacation, right? <laughs> if you go to Cancun, you'll get changed. No. <laughs> you can put a worm in a cocoon. Is it going to come out a butterfly? It's not in the DNA. You can take a, a snake and put it in a cocoon. Is it going to come out a butterfly or a flying dragon? No. It's not in the DNA. What makes a caterpillar turn into a butterfly? It's in the DNA. What's in your DNA when you're born again? The life of Jesus. So you get into the cocoon of God's word, and all of a sudden that, those wings start to pop up. That ability to fly, that ability to rise up, that ability to go where you've never been able to go before, 
boldly go where you've never been able to go before is on the inside of you. That's what's happened already. But now you have to identify with that. You have to yield to that. You have to believe that. You have to know and understand that this is what already took place on the inside of me. And so going through water baptism helps you to understand that, to connect with that. So you that are getting water baptized today, I just want to encourage you, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that, that is trying to uh, tell you that you don't belong to God, it is a lie from the devil, it's not from God, you are a citizen of God, you are a child of God, so much so that God put the spirit of his son in your heart, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's yours. So as you're getting water baptized today, you've died to the old you. There's a new you that's coming up, rising up. How many of you have ever moved from a place? Maybe a house, apartment? So you move into a new place. You, you kind of acclimate yourself to the new place. But at the end of the day, do you get up and say, well, I'm going to go back to the old place and go to bed? be kind of strange, wouldn't it? You don't belong there anymore. You've moved. You've given that up. You have a new residence, a new location. Too many Christians keep going back to the old house saying, hey, I want to just sit in the living room for a while, and I want to sit in the kitchen for a while, and I want to sleep in the bed for a while. And the, they don't belong there. You don't belong there. A lot of times when people go back into the world, what, what's the root cause? They forgot that they were cleansed of that. They forgot that that wasn't a part of them anymore, didn't belong to them. That was severed. They forget that. And they think that they belong back there, so they start to go back there, and they become a part of it. But legally, Christ set them free from that. So as you're getting water baptism, or even as you're watching today, that's you. That's you that has died to that old person. That's you. That old person doesn't belong in your life. It doesn't have the power and the authority over your life that you really think it does. Even though you may feel it, even though it may tug on your mind and your emotions, legally, before God, it does not have authority over your life. It doesn't. Because you've been buried with Christ. And you've been risen up, a new person. And then Jesus talks about here in Peter that you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he'll come upon you and fill you. So we see here that there's another baptism. Hereafter, the disciples received the Spirit of God, were born again. Then Jesus tells them in Acts uh, chapter 1, <clears throat> he tells them not to go anywhere. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they're like, what? There's more? But wait, there's more. See? <laughs> That's where that came from. 
They're ready to go. They're fired up. He says, but wait, there's more. And so they waited and they prayed and they sought the Lord in the upper room. And then when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place in Acts chapter 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing mighty wind. You know, this week, when it was raining and cold, Jeannie and I were sitting in the house, and all of a sudden you could just feel the whole house like move, like the wind just came. I said, wow, was that a tornado or something? It just, it just all of a sudden the whole house, you, the, the wood started to creak. You ever been in a house and you, you feel that? And you're like, wow, that is a gust of wind. Here they are on a perfect sunny day in the morning, and everything is just, there's wind. The sound of wind, the feel of wind. And then all of a sudden as they're in this room and this wind is blowing into this room, then there's tongues of fire. There's a fire that's above them that they can see. And then that fire begins to divide itself into little flames. And it rests on each one of their heads. And then they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were so full of the Spirit, they came out of that upper room, they walked out into the public. Now, the people in the area, see, this was during the time of Pentecost, so there was sacrifices and offerings going on, so there was a lot of people there from a lot of different regions, from a lot of different parts and countries that were Jews coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and they heard the wind. They knew something happened at this, in, in the upper room in this temple. So they were curious. And they're coming and saying, what in the world's going on? And then they see these people coming out. Now, if these people came out like this, would your response be, hmm, they must be drunk? Would you think that? No. They came out of that room and... They were, they were kind of stumbling and babbling, and, and people said, look at those people, they're drunk. And Peter said, we're not drunk like you suppose. <laughs> he didn't say we weren't drunk. <laughs> we're just not drunk the way you think we're drunk. But we are drunk. There is a joy, there is a power, there is a presence, there is a life that's all over us, that's moving upon us right now. And uh, right now we're having a hard time standing. We're having a hard time being able to manip move ourselves around, but boy, we feel the best we've ever felt in our life. And those people that were there could hear them speaking in these different languages. And God was coming in, and he was causing those different languages to be interpreted to some of these people in their native language. So if somebody came from Greece, for example, and they spoke Greek, one of those people up there praying in tongues was talking in Greek. And then they could understand what they were saying, and they said that they were speaking the wonderful works of God. Every time you pray in tongues, you're speaking the wonderful works of God. When you're praying in tongues, the Bible says you're praising God well. 
When you're praying in tongues, you're talking to God mysteries. Not mysteries that God doesn't know, because God knows everything. But those mysteries are the plans and the purposes and the pursuits of your life that God has for you. And so as you're praying in tongues, you're downloading all the plans, all the purposes, all the things that God wants for you to do in your life. You're downloading that and activating that through your spirit, praying it out of your mouth in English. Paul says, when I pray in an unknown tongue, I edify myself. When this church was being built, they had, to, they had to put up pillars. They had to put up columns. They had to put up supports. They had to lay a foundation. So when you're praying in tongues, you're building up a structure, the kingdom of God within. And as you continue to pray in tongues, then you begin to fill it with all of the necessary things, the, the flooring and the lighting and the, and the seating and all those things that fill the inside of that place. You are praying tongues. You are filling up those parts of your life with the very things of God, calling them forth, declaring those things. And then you are able to also do that for others. In other words, you may be sitting at home, and you might feel to pray for somebody. You might say, well, I need, I'm going to pray for Pastor Jen and Clayton. But I haven't talked to them. I don't know what they need prayer for. But I'm just going to pray in tongues. And the Bible says that when we know not how to pray as we ought, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and we begin to pray the perfect will of God. You can pray the perfect will of God for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for anybody that you want to pray for, you can pray the perfect will of God through praying in other tongues. You know, when Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, pray what? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, honestly, how many of you could say you know 100% what the will of God is just for today? I'm not asking for the week or the year or the month. Just for today, does anybody in here know exactly 100% what the will of God is for today? Raise your hand. Boy, hands are not going up anywhere. But why did he tell us to do that if he wouldn't make a way for us to do that? He made a way. We can pray in other tongues. And when you're praying in other tongues, you are praying the perfect will of God for your life. So to say that tongues is not for important for us or maybe God only gives it to, to this person but not that person um, is nonsense. Why would God give somebody that ability to bless them and then leave somebody handicapped and they have to struggle. You wouldn't do that. God's a just God. God loves us all the same. He wants us all to have the same tools, the same resources. Jesus doesn't save 50% of your sins and 100% of yours. He's, he forgives them all. So Holy Spirit baptism is so important for us. It doesn't mean that we're saved or not saved, but what it does do is it helps us to operate more in God's power. It helps us to be able to do more of the things that God wants us to do. It helps us to be sensitive more to the Holy Spirit. It helps us to be in tune with him, and it helps us to pray his will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> so we want that. And every time Paul, every time they would get somebody saved, Philip went down to Samaria, he preached Christ to them. Peter and John heard about it. They said, all right, load up the ponies. We're going to Samaria. They went down to Samaria, and they said, hey, you guys need to be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. You need this. Paul meets these disciples in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. He begins to find out where they're at. They're believers, but they've been baptized by John. They said, first thing he asked them, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you about him. He told them about him laid his hands on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and began to prophesy. See, that's a baptism, a power that God wants for us to have in our life. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for his presence, that he is here, that he's working in each one of us, that he's moving in each one of us, Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here today, that you are working today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you right now that you live inside of us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're covering over this place right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would move upon each heart, Lord. Lord, that you would stir in each one of us more of a hunger, more of a desire, to be filled with you, to walk in your presence, to allow you to move and work in us. Lord, I pray that if there's any in here today who, who have not experienced the release, the freedom uh, of speaking in other tongues, who have not ex have allowed you to fill them in that way or have been able to receive it in that way, Father, I pray that you will open their hearts right now. You said that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, that you're a good God and that you won't give us something that's evil. You won't give us something that'll deceive us or hurt us or trick us or mislead us or do, do something damaging to our spirits. But you give us good gifts. And Lord, we want more of you. Say this prayer, everybody. Just say, Lord, I want more of you. I need more of you. I need your power. I need your presence. I need your supernatural help in everything I do. I cannot do it in my own strength. I need you, Holy Spirit, to fill me, to overflow. And I want to pray the perfect will of God. I want to praise you well. I want to speak the wonderful works of God. And I want to be a witness to my family, to my friends, to my community, and testify with power the wonderful works of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. If you have not done this yet, I encourage you to do so, but I want everybody